I'm going to teach to you tonight. But I want to, I want to, mm, I want to kind of set a expectation in this house. an outpouring of the Spirit of God. But not everybody wants it. There are churches, there are ministries that have His name but have rejected His Spirit. I'll just go to the Word because it's going to tell you what's so heavy on my heart tonight. Acts chapter 2 and 16. And it says, but this is that. Everyone say, this is that. Which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Everyone say, last days. Says God that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Somebody say, all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Go back real quick to Acts chapter 2, verse 16. But this is that. Everyone read that first part again. But this is that. I want you to read that part three times. Say, but this is that. Say it again, but this is that. And one more time, but this is that. That, 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 that. I want you to catch that word, that. Watch this, 2 Corinthians 3.17. I'm about to share something incredibly powerful with you. Now the Lord is... Woo! Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is... Hey, <laughs> there's liberty. Father, we thank you for the liberty, the freedom, the expression, the magnitude, and the glory of your power that's ever so felt amongst this company of people. Father, as we long, we long for one thing, and that's you. And so, Father, as we would gather in this place, it would not be about this place as much as it would be about your presence. As we would sing songs, God, it's not about the melodies as much as it is your presence. And God, as we would proclaim your word, it's not with the eloquent of speech, but rather your presence. Father, it is your spirit for where your spirit is, God. There is freedom and there is liberty, God. Lord, there is a chain-breaking anointing, God. There is a severing of the, uh, of the suppression of this world. God, we thank you that as we would gather in your name, you would be in the midst of us, Father. We thank you tonight in Jesus' mighty name. I want to talk to you tonight on the idea of this. You ready? I want to talk to you tonight on the idea of being Ghostbusters. Everyone say Ghostbusters. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated all over the house. As I was in prayer over the word of the Lord for this house today, God gave me a rhema word. This is something I've never 
preached before. It's not something that I've pulled out of my archives of thousands of sermons I've preached. Uh, There is some language and verbiage, but it's what the Spirit of God is speaking in this hour that you may hear me uh, reciprocate and regurgitate. But but I believe that I have a rhema, a fresh word of the Lord for this house tonight. And I believe that as I was in prayer and talking with the Lord, God began to show me that Dominion Church is called to be a ghost-busting church. And, And I want you to hear me tonight because while your mind may go to the great movies of the 1980s of the Ghostbusters, I'm not talking about capturing the ghost, but I'm talking about those that'll break the ghost out. I'm talking about those that'll come in and let the ghost go free. I'm talking about those that know the ghost is is held up and he's being restrained and they're saying, not here, not now. I'm a Ghostbuster and I'm gonna break him free in the house of God. I believe and I prophesy to you tonight that there are Ghostbuster ministries rising up, that they have seen the Holy Ghost captive. They have seen the Holy Ghost restrained. And they are saying, we need a move of the Holy Ghost. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost. We need the freedom of the Holy Ghost. I believe that Dominion Church is a Ghostbuster ministry that we will not allow the ghost to be captured. We will not allow the Holy Ghost of Jesus to be constrained or confined because we know, according to the scripture, that this is is that and, and that is the spirit of the Lord and where that spirit is, there is freedom. An expression of the ministries that are open to the Spirit of God. There is one common underlining tone and it is that there is such freedom and there is such an expression and there's such an ability to worship freely. And People say things like, I feel like I can just be myself and not be judged and I feel like I'm loved. You know why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom, there's freedom. Genesis 8, I gotta teach you, I got a lot of foundational things I have to build. But my God, I'm telling you, the wind is so heavy on the scriptures tonight. So just hear the word of the Lord. Genesis 8 and 6. And so it came to pass at the end of the 40 days. Noah, a a man who is accounted righteous by the Lord. God is about to destroy the earth and he finds a man who is righteous in the eyes of God and God instructs him to build an ark and he, he's not a boat builder, never build a boat and not only that, he builds a boat on dry land. And, and, but it, because he was accounted as righteous, God gave him insight and he gave him instruction far beyond the comprehension of the natural mind and, and God began to show him things that were gonna come and so Noah builds a boat and it rains 40 days and 40 nights and two of each animal is placed upon the ark and, and 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 we find now at the end of its journey, Genesis 8, the story picks up and it says, so it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window. I want you to understand something, even the ark, I have visited the replica of the ark in Kentucky and, and even the ark, watch this, even the ark was prophetically built. In the bottom, it's a three layer structure. The foundational layer is that which is in the water. It's that which is buoying. Is that which all the ship is tied to, into is the bottom. But right above that, that bottom layer is the second layer. Here's the incredible thing. The second layer is where the door is. 
And then there is a third layer, a top layer, where there would be a window. And that window is where the dove was released from. Watch this. God the Father, the foundation. The second layer of the Trinity is Jesus. Behold, I am the door in which the sheep must pass through. And then the third layer, there was a window in which the dove, the Holy Spirit, came flying out of. And so it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. And he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot and she returned into the ark to him. And so the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. Somebody say seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. And then the dove came to him in the evening. And behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. And so he waited yet again another seven days. And he sent out the dove which did not return again to him anymore. The dove leaves, comes back. The dove leaves, comes back, this time with a freshly plucked olive branch in her mouth. But the third time, the dove is released, and she doesn't come back. Where did the dove go? Where did the dove go? As I was reading this text, my heart began to ask the question, where did the dove go? And I think a lot of us could ask that question in the church today. Where did the dove go? Who let the dove out the window? Where is the precious Holy Ghost? Where is the moving of the Spirit of God? Where is the comforter? Where is the convictor? Where is the thing that settles upon us in a saturating way that causes men to lay prostrate? Where is the sweet dove of the Holy Ghost where did the dove go where did the dove go I'll tell you where she went I found her actually she took flight she began to fly and watch Matthew 3 and 16 hallelujah and when Jesus was baptized and he went up immediately from the water the heavens suddenly everyone say suddenly open and for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him the spirit of the dove rested and remained on him I found the dove the dove came to establish, to convict, to begin to work in the ministry of Jesus. You know, there's three characteristics of a dove I want to talk to you about real quick before I go any further in the message. The first thing that I want you to know, do you know that the largest populations of doves is in America? Mm. Listen to me, I think it's prophetically significant that America is saturated 
with the dove. I believe we possess a multitude and a magnitude of the dove. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm saying that this great nation has held, this great nation has produced, this great nation has bred, this great nation has prayed through some of the greatest saturating moves of God. It has raised up some of the strongest, mighty men and women of God. It has sent out missionaries into Africa and India and into all the world. I believe that we are a nation that possesses the dove, but I came to tell you tonight that I think that there are some that want the dove put up. I think there's some that want the Holy Spirit in a cage. They want him locked up and confined because when he gets out, they lose control. There's three characteristics of the dove that I need you to understand. The first is the most amazing thing about doves is that doves only have one mate in their lifetime. (laughs) They only have one mate. You know, I can't read statistics like that and then not take it to a spiritual sense where I find out that Jesus said that he sticks closer than a brother, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I I, I can't read that and and not be convicted in my heart in in an understanding that Jesus, that I am Jesus' one and true love, that his bride is his one and true love. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter where we go. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's not going to abandon us for some better looking bride. He's not going to abandon us because we may up. He's not going to walk out on us when times get tough. He is, a, he, is a, he is secured in his relationship with us. He said, nothing can snatch you from my hand. Nothing. The dove only has one love. The second thing that you need to know is doves have no peripheral vision. In other words, they are one sight focused. They literally only see in the direction in which they fly. My God, can I talk to you tonight? If you want vision for your life, you need the dove. If you need focus in your life, you need the dove. If you feel like you're looking left and looking right, it's because there's an absence of the dove in your life. If there are things that are capturing your attention in your peripheral, the Bible is clear that when the dove comes, he rested and remained on Jesus. Why? I believe when the Spirit came to rest on him and lighted on him like a dove, it was to make sure Jesus stayed focused for the mission. He stayed called for the calling. He stayed convicted of the conviction. He didn't look left. He didn't look right. But for the prize that was set before him, he endured the cross. The third thing that you need to know about doves is that doves cannot be caged. Doves were created to live in habitat. They were designed for atmosphere. They were not created to be caged animals. Do you hear me tonight? Then you'll find the problem in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 12. It says, And then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, 
my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves and robbers, one translation says. Jesus has just finished what we will know as his triumphal entry. It is the initial Palm Sunday. He has just rode into Jerusalem leading up to his Passion Week. He has rode in on a donkey. They have shouted in the streets, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. Here he comes, your king, lowly riding on a donkey. He rides in to the city in the first exchange that we find is that Jesus arrives at the temple only to find that that which was consecrated for holy, that that which was consecrated for worship, that that which was made for the union of God and his people has now been robbed by people who wanted to make it about money. They wanted, oh, come on somebody. They wanted to make it about what they could sell. They wanted to make it about what they could show. They They wanted to make it about where they could sit. But Jesus comes in and he begins to get the priority straight. But I think there's a very strong prophetic picture that when Jesus comes in, he's coming in. And as he comes in, he notices those specifically that are set up with their tables and there are doves in cages. The ghost ghost buster has just arrived on the scene. What he saw was that which was constrained. He saw that which was confined. He saw that which was meant to be free. And enraged, he begins to flip tables. Flipping tables, I can imagine cages falling, hitting the ground. And as they hit the ground, they would bust open and doves would begin to be set free. Can I tell you, and I want to warn you, that I believe that as Jesus came in the first sense, that there is now a new hour of visitation on the church, and specifically in the church of America. And can I tell you, church, that one thing we have to be conscious of is where is the dove? Where is the dove? Where is the dove? We cannot have that which is precious and that which is powerful confined to cages. That which was never meant to be restrained. The Holy Spirit has to be free in her services. The Holy Spirit has to be able to flow through the churches. The Holy Spirit cannot be caged. You know why people want the Holy Ghost Cage, you know why they want want it confined? I'll tell you why. Because you can't control it. Because you can't come on, somebody. When the Holy Ghost really gets the move, you don't get to break up uh, who cuts a lap. You don't get to shut down who's coming to the altar. Oh, come on! You may miss an offering if the church is really flowing in the Holy Ghost. We have to examine ourselves as a church and as a ministry especially a ministry that is growing. And we have to say, God, we're thankful for the growth. We're thankful for the people. But if they got to go so your ghost can stay, then God, so be it. I want the ghost. Because we're not people pleasers. We are God chasers. There is nothing seeker friendly about this church. We are seek him friendly. We know that if we will seek him, that if we will draw near to him, that he will dwell with us. 
I think it's very powerful and prophetic on the fact that Jesus comes and he flips over tables. Why? Because tables represent three things. You ready? If you're taking notes, tables represent a place where you can sit. Tables represent a place where you can show. You can show things on tables. And thirdly, tables represent a place where you can sell. You can sit, you can sell, and you can show. Jesus, I believe, comes in with a prophetic demonstration of flipping over the tables. And as he begins to flip over the tables, he is saying that your complacency, the places where you sit, I am flipping them over in this hour. Can I tell you that we were not called to sit in the house of God? My God, hear me. Come on, come on, come on. We were not called to sit. What am I saying? I'm not saying about a pew. I'm not saying about a chair. But I'm saying that there is nothing comfortable about this calling. There is nothing padded about this calling. There is nothing that just makes you feel good all the time. That there is an uncomfortability in this calling. He didn't create tables. He created altars. He didn't create a place just for us to sit and and be in complacency. The second thing is that when he flipped over the tables, he said, I'm sick of your selling. In other words, can I tell you something? That I believe that what God is saying in this hour, that we have to realize that what we have, it's not for sale. Do I need to remind you? And maybe I'll tell some of the new people that are here because, you know, some of y'all forgot. A year ago, I I I was met by investors here at this church Loved what God was doing. Talked to me about the amazing things that God was doing. Couldn't believe it. Ten acres of land out on the bypass given to us. One of the fastest growing churches in the area. Loved everything about it. Said, Pastor, can we just meet with you? We just want to talk. Can we look at your finances? And we just kind of want to see what's going on. And we're going to see about getting you that that four and a half million dollars that y'all need to build. And I said, yeah, sure. We'll meet. And I met with them and everything was great. Everything was exactly the way they wanted it. Everything was lined up and they said, yeah, we can make this happen. There's a couple questions that we got to ask you though. Before we move forward with the deal, it happened right there in that corner. He asked me, he said, before, you know, we move forward in the deal, there's just one thing uh, 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 in regards to your statement uh, of belief. uh, Y'all aren't one of those tongue talking churches, are you? We don't just talk in tongues, but we cast out devils. We don't just cast out devils, but we watch God move and change lives. Because there's some things that are not for sale. Let me talk to the people in the house tonight. I don't know about all that tongue talking. If it ain't real, why does it bother you? If it ain't real, why does it make y'all come on somebody? If there ain't nothing real about it, if there ain't nothing real about it, why does it bother you so bad? Why does it make you so, I'll tell you why. It's the spirit that aggravates the demons. There's just some things we won't back up on. There's just some things that are not for sale. The third thing, when Jesus flips over the table, I believe that he was declaring that this is not for show. 
It's not for you to sit. It's not for sale. And it sure ain't for show. Y'all, we have to realize something. That when we have the dove, when we have a church that is full of the Holy Ghost, it's never for show. It's for go. Jesus comes to his disciples and he tells them, he says, go, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Go and wait and pray fast and seek me until you are filled with the Holy Ghost. He says, wait there and then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even into the other ends of the earth. I want you to know that this Holy Ghost, when he showed up, he didn't show up so we can show out. He showed up so we can go out. Come on, we got enough tongue-talking in the church. We got enough devil-casting in the church. Oh, yeah, let's talk about church folk tonight. We got enough uh, uh, running around in the church. We got enough jumping and hucking and bucking in the church. But where is it in Walmart? Where is it in the schools? Where is is it in in the government meetings? Where is it in city council? My God, I heard a testimony. I'm not even going to share much because I don't even know the person could be here. Somebody visited our services last week, first time they ever did. First time they ever visited them. And they said, they said that they talked to a, a minister that wasn't even here last week and just told him, man, I went to Dominion and man, something happened. I I don't know what it is, but basically his testimony went on to say that ever since he stepped into this atmosphere, he started hearing God. Been in church for years, but he said he don't know what happened, but when he got into dominion, he said there was something that opened, and all of a sudden that night he went home, he started having dreams, and God started, ah, Jackie Hatcher, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Jackie was standing right there as we heard the testimony. Something opened in the heavenlies. Why? Because this is a habitation. This is a place where the dove can move freely, and it ain't for show, baby. It's for go. The great Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite uh, revivalists of all times, wrote an incredible book. You want your life set on fire? Write this down. Go read the book, Why Revival Tarries, by Leonard Ravenhill. It will ignite your life. But the great Leonard Ravenhill wrote this and said this very powerful quote. He said, the world is not needing another definition of the Holy Ghost. The world is awaiting another demonstration of the Holy Ghost. My God, we don't need you to change the name to Holy Spirit so it sounds more comfortable. Just give me something that's powerful. Give me something that moves me. Give me something that convicts me. Give me something that changes me. So how do we bust the cages? I've got five ways that I believe through Matthew 21 in which we bust the cage. How do we become ghostbusters? I'm going to go quick. The first is that doves are released by submission. How does the dove fly through this ministry? 
submission. He comes in and he says these words that my house or my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. It's amazing to me that he is yet under before he was ever turning over. It's amazing to me that Jesus comes to be baptized out of submission, to fulfill all righteousness, as he tells John the baptizer. But when he came submitted, watch this, watch this, watch this, the heavens opened. The dove was released in a moment of submission. Y'all, this is really good teaching. If you will grasp this and quit worrying about where you're going to eat, God can change your life in this moment. You can walk out of here. You came in here bound. You can walk out of here free. You came in here in cage. You can walk out of here full of the Holy Ghost. You came in here worried and full of anxiety. You can walk out of here full of the anointing. Galatians 5 and 16 out of the Passion Translation, I love what it says. It says, and as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Oh, let's read it again. That as you submit, as you yield freely and fully, somebody say fully to the dynamic life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. You got a cigarette smoking problem? Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you somebody that struggled with it, somebody that struggled with it, somebody that struggled with it. Let me tell you something. If you'll press in to the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll leave cigarette. You got pornography problems. You press in and say, Jesus, you're all that I want. You're all that. All of a sudden, you'll start walking away from things that had you captive. Here's the amazing thing. When you set the dove free, you'll find out he came to set you free. You thought you were letting him loose only to find out what you let loose got a hold of you and all of a sudden you're the one that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's your freedom. The first was submission. The second, you ready for this? Because we don't hear about this in church enough. The second thing is zeal. A lot of times in the church, we talk like zeal is a bad thing. Let me be honest with you. The Bible says to have zeal, but according to wisdom. There ain't nothing like being a new believer, especially when you get saved Start getting scrubbed up and sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. You have that encounter. We're going to talk about that tonight in a minute. You get so zealous, man. You ready to go to Walmart? You, you lay in oil on everything. Mama grabbed the chicken out of the refrigerator, and it's already got oil on it. She was about to fry it, only to find out it smells like frankincense and myrrh because you were trying to revive the chicken. Do you hear what I'm talking about? I'm telling you, when you get this thing, it will come. It comes with a whole lot of zeal. Watch, 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 watch. Watch, though. Zeal defined as the great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. Can I tell you something what the church needs more of? We need more zeal. I think we got enough zest. What's zest? It's lemony. 
we look real sour. Come on, we're real zesty, but we don't have much zeal. The church needs more zeal. We need to get passionate about souls again. We need to get passionate about Jesus again. We need to get passionate about being in a service where the Spirit of God is moving. We need zeal. We need zeal. Watch. John 2 and 15 gives another translation. John, sitting there on that day, sees what happens according to Matthew 21 and gives his account. And he says, and when he had made a whip of cords that he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Next verse. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Watch, right here it is. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Where are the men that have zeal for his house? Where are the women? Where are the families? Where are the business owners that zeal for his house has eaten me up? We lack zeal in the house of God. We're no longer zealous about the things of the Lord. Church has become a box in which we check, trying to get through our week. But God's saying, if you'll get hungry for me, if you'll get thirsty for me, if you'll seek after me with all of your heart, I'll fill you in ways you never knew you could be filled. I'll do things in your life you never thought I could do. The third thing that we find in how to break doves out is you have to be okay with uncomfortability. If you want the doves free, you got to say, I want to be, I'm okay being uncomfortable. I'm okay being uncomfortable. See, Jesus, the Bible says, didn't just flip over the chairs. Watch this. Go back and read it. It says he flipped over the seats and the tables. What did he do? He flipped over comfortability. People that just wanted to come and lounge. He said, if you want the doves free, you'll never get them sitting in your chair. The dove can't fly free as long as we're comfortable just sitting by in our complacency. The dove can't fly free when we're okay with just going through life and we're just okay with doing church and getting our Jesus on. The dove can't fly free in a house that people are more worried about what people will think about them when they begin to weep and snot begins to run out their nose and their tears begin to soak the altar. He said, if you're worried about that, then you, you, you're, you're not ready for the dove to go free. The fourth thing to set doves free is there has to be passion. I believe that it was passion that drove Jesus in accordance with his zeal, in accordance with his love, in accordance to everything else that was in him. But Jesus had passion. He had passion for the things of God. Listen to me. Some of you, I just got to preach straight and solid. Because you know what? Y'all real quiet anyways tonight. So either I'm standing on your toes or you're already worried about where you're going. Where is some of y'all's passion? You care more about who's going to the Super Bowl than you do the King of Glory. You care more about who's going the fastest around the track than sitting at his feet. There's a whole lot of things that got your it. Where is your passion? Somebody needs to rebuke you on your passion. You have no passion for the things of God. 
You'll never break doves free as long as you're just okay in the sweet by and by. You'll never set the dove free. I'm talking to you tonight about getting the dove out the cage, but what you don't realize is that y'all are in the cage. And you can't get out of the cage until you get the dove out of the cage. And when you get the dove out of the cage, he will, Corinthians 3.17, he will set you free. It's not just about the Holy Ghost moving. It's about the Holy Ghost moving you. Some of you, watch this. Here, I got to preach and teach. Some of y'all, the only place that you feel free is here. Let me tell you something. If that's your case, you are in error and you are being tormented by the demons of hell that if the only reason why you can't wait to get here is because your demons shut up, can I tell you it's more than your demons shutting up? It is that heaven is shut up, that the dove is shut up, and God wants you free. He wants heaven inside of you everywhere you go. The Bible says that Saul hired David to come play the harp. Why? Because it soothed his demons. And a lot of preachers ain't nothing but harp players in pulpits that people come to get their devil satisfied, to get the itch scratched. But God said, I want to set you free. Where is your passion? Where is your passion? Where is your passion for the things of God? Why don't you love God more than you love yourself? Why don't you love God more than you love your family? Preacher, you better be quiet. You're going to run them off. I'd rather run them off than run them to hell. Where is your passion? The fifth thing is that you will never break the dove free absent of prayer. Absent of prayer. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Brooke, come on. I'll never forget. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was 24 years old. It was October. I've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost for six months, chasing every revival, every move of God, anywhere where they said God was moving, I was there. And any time there was an altar call, I'd run to the altar and I said, God, if this baptism of the Holy Ghost is real, I want it. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I was passionate. I was zealous. I was hungry for the things of God because I knew that there was more of God and I knew the level of God I had was not sufficient for the devils that I was facing. And I'll never forget it. That in the back of that church, service was over. And I was walking to the back door to walk out. And it was me and two other ladies in the church, the pastor and the pianist. And Sister Linda Nesbitt went to the piano and began to play. And I was walking to the back of the church, and as I began to walk, the Spirit of God began to settle in that place like a weighted blanket, and I could no longer walk. My knees had to bow. I had to lay on the ground, and I laid down on the ground, and I just laid there. And I laid there for over an hour and a half. And the whole time while I was there, those two sweet ladies never left. Sister Linda kept playing the piano. Pastor Betty kept praying. And I just laid there and I had an encounter with God. And as I was laying on the ground, the dove 
got free in my life. I laid there on the ground and I was praying and I was crying out to God. And all of a sudden, this sweet heavenly language began to flow and flutter from my mouth. I began to speak in a language that I didn't understand. The Bible says, for those of you that are here tonight and say, well, if you speak in tongues, it's got to be interpreted. You've believed a lie, friend. You haven't read your full Bible. You need to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and you'll find out that there is a tongue, an unknown tongue, that when, a, when you pray, you pray it, and you speak the mysteries of God. And no man, the Bible says, no man understandeth him. And that tongue began to come from my mouth, and I knew that I was in direct communion with God. I was praying in a heavenly language. I was saying what the angels say. I was speaking as only God himself would understand. And it was there, though, that as I was laying there and I was praying, God began to download a message in me that came from Revelation that said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and answer it, I will come in and I will sup with him. My heart broke. I I laid in the floor. I laid in the presence of God, but I got up. And those two ladies, they probably wondered, what happened to him? Because you'd think I was preaching to 2,000 people when I got up. I stood up full of the Holy Ghost, and I began to preach in that church that was empty. And I began to cry aloud and spare not my voice. And I said this. I said, why is Jesus on the outside of his church? Why is he standing on the door of his church? And he is knocking, saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and answers the door, I will come in and sup with him. Why is Jesus on the outside of the church? And today, 13 years later, why is he still trying to be forced to the outside of his church? Why do we have his name on signs, but his spirit is absent? Why is it when the Spirit of God begins to move in universities, that the dove is put back in the cage. What? Because it'll it'll ruin your itinerary. What? Because it'll wreck your schedule. What? Somebody somebody may not get, have to be able to be on payroll anymore. I'll tell you why the church don't see revival. Because we don't want the cost of the dove. We don't want the freedom. Not the freedom that it brings. Because it brings freedom that no man can, can control. My prayer has been, though, God raise up this ministry to be a ghostbuster ministry that when we see the dove captured, 
that we flip tables, turn chairs, and do whatever we got to do to make sure that the Holy Ghost gets out. Stand with me all over this house right now. Hallelujah. Jesus, I've poured myself out tonight, God, to your people. God, I said what I felt like you wanted me to say. And God, I know that your word will go forward and not return void. God, I take confidence in your word that says no man comes unless the Spirit draws him. Unless the dove draws him. God, it's why we need the dove free. It's why we can't have your spirit in a cage, God. We can't have you in a box. But God, there's got to be freedom, God, that your spirit can move freely. I want to tell you a scripture real quick. Before I let you go home or before you stay here for another three hours, whatever it is. But I read this scripture and it challenged me. Because listen to me, y'all, I wasn't, I wasn't churched. I'm not a third generation preacher. If anything, I was about a fourth or fifth generation alcoholic. My family is not a bloodline of preachers. But I got in the Word of God and I took the Word of God for what the Word of God says. And I didn't, let, I didn't wait on some man in a pulpit to tell me what it says. I took the word for the word and I said, okay, you're the word. You tell me what you say. And the great teacher, the dove that'll lead you in all truth, he'll tell you. And I read this scripture and it challenged and changed my pursuit in Matthew Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. It says, John standing on the banks of the Jordan, he's baptizing people. Thousands of people are coming and they're being baptized. John says these words. I indeed baptize you with water (laughs) unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Your whole life, People say things like, oh, that tongue-talking, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost baptism stuff, it ain't real. Don't you believe that lie and be damned. Don't you let somebody that wants the dove in the cage try to negate your spiritual well-being. You take the word for the word. Listen to me. You receive the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus as Lord of your life. But watch this. He comes and dwells with you. But there's a difference because that word there, baptize with the Holy Ghost is baptizo, which means immersion. Watch this. John said, there's one coming after I who will immerse you. You'll be just like you're laid down in the water and you're completely under the water. You're completely submerged. He said, there's one coming after me. He's going to do that with you with his spirit. And this is all I want to do. I've preached what God told me to preach tonight. 
But if you're here tonight and you say, this baptism of the Holy Ghost, I want it. I want the more of God. If it's real, I want it. God, if it's real, I want it. And listen to me. When I came and prayed that first time, I said, God, if it's real, I want it. I didn't get it. But I I felt something. There was a stirring. There was a confirming. I knew that God was at work. And six months, I, I chased after the things of God. Six months in prayer. Six months fasting. Six months in the in every revival. God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Why? 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 Not just so you can talk with tongues. Tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Acts chapter 2. Go read it. But watch. It's more than tongues. He said, and you shall receive power. There's some of you right now under the sound of my voice and you've been saying things like, I feel powerless. I feel powerless against porn. I feel powerless against addiction. I feel powerless against, uh, against lust. I feel powerless. I feel. Let me tell you something. You are powerless, but he is all powerful. And if you'll come to him, he will fill you with his power. So this all I'm going to ask you. No hype. No begging. If you'd say, preacher, if it's real, I want it. Come now, if that's you. If that's your prayer, if it's real, I want it. Thank you. Thank you. Preacher, if it's real, I want it. Oh, I feel it. Oh, I feel it. The dove is in the room. If it's real, I want it. If it's real, I want it. God, if it's real, I want it. It's not going to come from hype. It's not going to come from pumping and priming. It's not going to come from somebody smacking you in your mouth. It's going to come from you submitting to God. And as you submit and you surrender to him, as you lay down your life before him, then zealously pursuing God. God, you're all that I want. God, you're all that I need. And then, and then, and then you get uncomfortable before God. Your passion becomes the power of your pursuit. And then you begin to pray and say, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Baptize me with the Holy Ghost. You are the baptizer. I need to be filled with your Holy Ghost. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost.